Hello, and welcome to the Military Veteran Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Aronson. I'm a serial entrepreneur, a Wharton MBA, and a former banker at Goldman Sachs. But most importantly, before all of that, I was a Marine. I believe every military veteran deserves a career that fires them up, a career in which you can learn, earn, and build a world-class network. On this podcast, we interview military veterans who are top performers in their civilian careers. Our only goal is to inspire you to achieve great things in the next phase of your life. You'll hear from CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies, founders who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, and investors who have written some of the most famous checks in history. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Please reach out and let us know how we can be of service to you. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the MillVet podcast. If you're listening to this via the podcast, uh, we're actually recording it live. Uh, we have an option for you guys to participate in the Q&A as well. So tune into our newsletter uh, where we're promoting upcoming live recordings. We've got fantastic business executives coming to you from across different industries. Um, we're doing a couple of them actually live in person as well. We're doing a workout and then a podcast with the CEO of CrossFit, Don Fall, um, who's a military veteran in San Francisco in January. And then we've got the same thing, a workout followed by a live podcast recording with the CEO of Team RWB um, in March. That'll be down in North Carolina. So we'll publish details on the newsletter and on the website, themillvet.org slash events. I'm your host for today, Brendan Aronson. If you're tuning into the podcast, again, check out the the newsletter and these um, for an opportunity to listen to the live events. We do Q&A at the end of the call. So you'll have an opportunity to interact with the fantastic guests that we bring on the show. I do have a quick ask before we dive into the uh, conversation. If you like the show, we we don't really ask you for anything, um, but I'm going to ask you for something now. So if you can share it with a friend, that would mean the world to us. Send it to a friend. Um, we put obviously a lot of time and effort into the show. We'd love to have it help more people. So don't get into an accident driving down the highway if you're listening to this on your commute to work, but do when you pull over, uh, send it to a friend. Today, we're joined by Lori Drowdy for the show. Um, Lori was one of the first female fighter pilots in the US Navy. Uh, after she departed the military, she earned an MBA at the Wharton School. Uh, prior to entering the tech space, she worked in tech as an executive over the next 15 years. And she recently published a book, which was just released last week. Um, the book is called Soar Into Joy. We'll link to uh, the book in the podcast description as well. We're going to talk about the book on the podcast. Um, we also had the privilege of hosting Lori last week in New York City. We're recording this on Tuesday, October 3rd. And so our New York event was last week. Um, Lori was on a panel. It was a fantastic panel. And we were absolutely thrilled to be able to bring you the conversation via the podcast today. Lori, um, it's really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, the first question that I love to ask is if you can introduce yourself. Obviously, we have a high-level overview, but it's always really helpful to hear it in the first person. Sure. Thank you so much, Brendan. I really appreciate being here. And um, I'm just so delighted. I've told you this many times, but I love that the military veteran is in existence and is helping veterans transition out of the military and into successful careers in the business world and in the civilian world. Um, So I'm delighted to be here to help support that. So let's see, introduce myself. I am, I, you know, it's so funny. People don't talk about it as much, but I'm a mom. I don't really talk about that as much on the panels because, um, you know, it's, I mostly talk about my military and business experience, but gosh, I learned a ton raising two human beings. So that was, uh, that was a great experience. My, my kids are 19 and 21 now. 
And um, I am a former naval aviator and also a, uh, a former leader in Silicon Valley at startups and at some uh, bigger tech companies like Google and Meta. And I would say if I just had to summarize who I am, I would say I'm a creative leader. I really enjoyed creative pursuits. Um, I did write a, a second book that just came out last week. I'm also doing a one-woman show about my experiences uh, of being one of the first women in combat aviation. So I love that I can uh, you know, have these creative pursuits, but I also really enjoy supporting teams and, and being a leader. And so uh, for the past three, three or four years, I've been doing executive coaching and leadership consulting and uh, supporting leaders through through that, as well as doing public speaking. So um, I'm just really delighted to be here and help to help support your listeners. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. I want to rewind the clock back to when you earned your wings. Um, sure. You're one of the first women um, in uh, a fighter pilot role. Um, what was that experience like? <laughs> I have like my own preconceptions, but uh, I'm sure oh, they're far thanks. from the truth. Well, since since this is, um, I think, a primarily military audience, I'm going to have to be uh, a, a little bit, I'm going to have to walk that back a little bit. So I was technically not a fighter pilot in the sense that I was not, I did not deploy in a fighter squadron. I did fly an F-18 Hornet. Um, it was in a combat support role. So uh, it's funny, I used to, um, I, I got to fly the F-18 Alpha and Bravo, and my mission was to go out and pretend to be a missile. So I got to fly the Hornet really fast and low, and ships would practice tracking me, and they'd pretend to shoot me down. And um, it was really fun. <laughs> but um, so when I got winged, um, that was, you know, that role, as well as I could be an instructor pilot, um, those were really the options I had as a woman, but about a year into my, um, my role as a support pilot, the exclusion was lifted for women flying in combat. And at that point, I transitioned to a different jet called the S3B Viking. And that's what I actually deployed in uh, for two two cruises to the Persian Gulf on the Abraham Lincoln and the Katy Hawk. So, um, you know, people will often they they see F eighteen and they think fighter pilot. And so I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm technically a fighter pilot, um, but I I loved my time flying the Hornet. But I really loved my um, gosh six years flying the S three B. So um, yeah. Well, you're you're a very humble person. I mean, I exactly. understand the like um, the nomenclature is like obviously very meaningful to folks in the military, but yeah. I do see a lot of veterans do this where they'll kind of caveat their service. Mm. I'm guilty of it. I do it all the time. Where I'll be like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, I deployed to Iraq, but it was like a different time. It was not like the missions that you're thinking about from the yeah. peak of the war." And they kind of like add an asterisk to their own service. I always encourage people not to do that, but then I do it anyway. So it's like, you know, I'm a hypocrite. But, uh, well, but here's the thing, because fighter pilots out there are going to be like, oh, no, that's, that's not a fighter pilot. I know them. So um, totally. it just saves me grief. Yeah, right. Exactly. Self, uh, self-preservation. self I mean, yeah. fighter pilots are like known to be, uh, you know, um, they're an interesting bunch. They're very um, proud. Yes. They are very proud. That's Thank you. Those are the words I was looking for. Um so when you transitioned out of the military, what were you thinking about for the next phase of your career? Wow. You know, I, it, that's a, such a great question. I was really unsure and I knew that I wanted to keep working with teams. I really enjoyed uh, being a division officer in the Navy and, you know, being part of a squadron 
like I, I loved that camaraderie and I loved feeling like I was part of a mission that was bigger than myself. Um, so I did not go to the airlines. <laughs> so um, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I really wanted to keep working um, with teams. So I, I actually applied to both business school and film school. And I had I had made a bunch of music videos for my squadron while we had been out at sea. And you know, they weren't bad, considering this was way before Final Cut Pro and iMovie and all that. So it would take like two weeks to render, you know, two minutes of video. Um, but I think that, you know, they, they were super fun to make. I loved doing them. So I actually got into one of the best film schools in the country. And I, and I got, I was, you know, lucky I got into one of the best business schools. And so I was deciding, okay, well, what do I want to do with, for the rest of my life? And, um, I actually talked myself out of film school because I was so nervous. I wasn't going to be successful because it wasn't something I had been doing. Um, you know, I didn't really know any veterans in the film industry. I knew a couple of people who had left the military and were in business, but um, it just felt very overwhelming and scary to think about going into the film industry. So I decided to go to business school instead. And now when I think back, I'm like, I'm sure I would, I know I would have been fine. But at the time, everything just felt so overwhelming to be losing that security of a constant paycheck and a community and all those things that I, business school just felt like it was going to be a little bit more in my wheelhouse from my previous experience. So that's how I ended up going to business school. Um, I mean, I definitely empathize with the feeling. I basically made the same decision, not between film school because I'm not that yeah. talented. Um, I always wanted to be an actor <laughs> when I was a kid. And then we had, um, Jerry Byrne on the podcast, and they spoke on a panel. And I know you met Jerry in person yeah. last week, whose media career took him into the film industry, working for Norman Lear and producing Fried Green Tomatoes, Princess Bride, right, um, right. a yeah. few other like fantastic films. There are veterans in Hollywood. Um, we'll work to get some on the show. Um, but yeah, it's certainly like a less um, like sure path, right? Um, right? It just seems like a lot of ambiguity. Yeah. Um, so then coming out of business school, how'd you decide on the tech sector? And then can you talk to, to, talk to us right. a little bit about your career in tech? Yeah. So, you know, when I was in business school, I loved learning about all the facets of business and, you know, talking to my classmates who were coming from many different industries. And um, I still felt like there was a lot to learn. Like I, there wasn't one particular industry that was really standing out for me. And I did an internship. So you know, being in that situation, I think a lot of veterans in business school tend to do this. They tend to go to investment banking or management consulting because both of those are, are areas where you can learn a lot about business. And um, I did an internship with Bain and Company in San Francisco, and I really enjoyed it. I worked with a semiconductor company and um, did a, a, strategy, a web strategy project for them. And so that was my first introduction to tech. And so when I uh, graduated, I came back to Bain and helped them open up their Silicon Valley office. And most of my clients, it just turned out, were um, tech clients. You know, I think being in that area, that's uh, to be expected. But uh, most of my projects were in marketing strategy, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I even at Wharton, I had been struck with how quantitative marketing was. I had always envisioned marketing as being very, you know, uh, more like Don Draper, very, you know, advertising. <laughs> I, I think of advertising when I thought of marketing. I really had no idea until I went okay. to business school. Um, and so I, I enjoyed that um, combination of quantitative and creativity, but also quantitative looking at results and performance. And um, so 
I started gravitating towards um, doing marketing roles in tech. But honestly, um, what got me into marketing and tech and the tech industry was a fellow veteran. So hmm. I was I, I did four years at Bain and Company. Realized that you know I did not want to be a partner <laughs> and. Um, I, I loved the people I worked with, loved the work, but that path was just, you know, I had just had two kids. So, I mean, I had two kids under two and it was, um, just a path that I, I did wasn't worth it for me. And so, um, I was doing a, like a side job, actually getting back to my kind of filmmaking roots of creating video case studies at the business school at Stanford at the uh, GSB graduate school of business. And, um, it was fun, but I was starting to get a little bored after a year because um, it was a. I was working by myself, so it was really fun to interview CEOs and create these video case studies um, for students to learn about how CEOs handled different challenges. But um, after about a year, I I really wanted to get back to working with the team. And one of my friends um, is Chris Michael, and he I, I had met Chris through um, my dad. Chris was on the board of the U.S. Naval Institute, and he was interviewing my dad, who was a retired Marine general, as a potential board candidate. And when they were talking, my dad said, realized Chris was in San Francisco and said, oh, you should meet my daughter, Lori. She's out there, too. So we met each other and, you know, hit it off. He's a he's a, a naval flight officer. He was in P3s and he had founded a company called Military.com. And so. um he was looking for a VP of marketing for his company. And I had never, you know, worked in a tech company. I'd done uh, marketing strategy work at Bain, but um, he was like, you can do this. I'm like, okay, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. But, and really, you know, he had a team of experts. He had, it was a team of about, um, I think it was about eight people. They all were very good at doing online marketing. Um, I really knew very little about online marketing, but I knew how to lead a team. And so um, I learned a ton from them. And I, you know, it was really fun to work with them and support them and their work. And um, so I was there for about three years. And that's really where I started my, what I would consider my tech career um, was through that role. And, and really it was because Chris believed in me and, um, you know, uh, hired me. So um, that's what got me started in tech. I feel like I hear that from a lot of uh, vets is like they get hired and someone's like, oh, you'll figure it out, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is terrifying. Um, yeah. yeah. Intimidating for sure. Um, I had the same experience in my way into my first job. Um, it must have been intimidating, I assume. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, so military.com, obviously very catchy URL. Um, what was the business model that they were using at the time? And how did you kind of see it evolve? You were obviously doing web strategy yeah. work at Bain. And I'm curious to hear about the evolution of the web strategy during your time at Bain and then at military.com. Yeah. So, um, you know, even at Bain, it was still, um, you know, early days of the internet. I mean, not early, early, but 2000, 2001, you know, I was there from 2000 until 2004, I think it was 2005. Um, I, I started in 2001 full-time. So, um, so it was really exciting. You know, there was a lot going on. People were trying to understand, uh, how to put up, uh, decent looking websites. Um, um, I remember we supported a, a nonprofit and, um, they had, uh, 
they didn't have a dot com and like people were freaking out about that. You know, just like stuff that we take for granted for now. Back then it was all new. People were trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and actually it's funny, I remember um working at military.com, nobody in the military was on Facebook um back in you know 2005, 2006. And then um, I think it was around 2007 or eight, I started seeing a bunch of my military friends on Facebook. And that's when I knew our, we had a really good online community at, at military.com. It was, you know, pretty engaged. Um, but as soon as I started seeing all, all of my veteran friends on Facebook, I knew our military.com community was done <laughs> because, you know, people want to be where all of their friends are, not just their, their military friends. So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, uh, you know, just kind of an evolution, I think of, of that work and, and, um, seeing it was very interesting to be in the valley from 2001 until last year 2022 and you're know, going through the the dot com bust and then even you know after the the housing crisis in silicon valley um there's still we're just there's there's always something exciting happening there people are always you know always uh searching for the next big thing you know it, it feels like just yesterday everyone was going nuts over blockchain and crypto and now it's AI and you know who knows what I think AI is AI is big enough you know you and I were just talking about this but AI is big enough I think we're going to be sitting in this for a while <laughs> but um I also found that to be really exciting you know to be able to see um all these incredible creations and um innovation yeah, it's certainly an exciting career path. Um, anytime yeah. you're at the forefront of innovation and things that are going to change the world, yeah. um, very exciting. I mean, so after military.com, uh, what was your next transition in your business career? Yeah, you know, it's funny when you're in Silicon Valley, um, at some point, I think there's, you know, kind of that swan song of swan song is that no siren song. That's it. It's the siren song of startups <laughs> where you feel like, oh, I need to go to a startup and I need to get the startup experience. And I, you know, it happened to me too. Um, so I'd been at military.com, but one of the CEOs that I had interviewed while I was at Stanford, um, well, I actually did not interview him. I inherited the footage and I had created the case study. So I knew who he was, but he didn't know who I was. Well, it turns out that our, our kids were in the same kindergarten class. So I met him at a, a picnic, you know, for the school and introduced myself and we were chatting. And uh, he's like, well, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking about joining a startup. And he's like, oh, well, I have a startup and we're looking for a marketing person to help us launch. And so I started, um, I, I joined them as their marketing person, you know, taking care of everything marketing related and, you know, like the website, uh, I took, created the website and did all the PR, worked with the PR firm, all of that. But it was just really funny because I, I, it made me realize like, why did I just spend all this money on an MBA when I could have just moved to Silicon Valley and started having children? And that's how, you know, I made this connection with the CEO. But um, so I worked at that startup for about a year and a half. And, um, you know, as, as often happens, the startup pivoted its business model. And um, it went from being a B2C play where we were doing this really interesting thing called, we called it Quedit which was, um, this was back in 2009 when online video games like Farmville and Mafia Wars were really popular. And it was a way for someone playing the game to get virtual credit um, if they promised to pay it back later. So, you know, it cost 
publisher, video publishers like nothing or very little. And we found that like three quarters of the people would actually go to a 7-Eleven with this barcode that we would provide and pay with cash. So the um, the startup was around making remote, uh, making cash payments for remote transactions, which is beneficial to the millions of people in America who don't have banking accounts or credit cards. Um, but eventually the, um, the company pivoted and started doing more payments for things like collection agencies. And it was becoming more of a B2B play. And, um, so I wasn't as excited about it, but thankfully one of our investors was looking to spin out an idea into a startup. And so he asked me if I would, um, co-found it. But the CEO was in England. So I was basically running the company from the US. And so I got another startup experience. Um, this one with a, a, a startup that didn't succeed. <laughs> so um, the one that I, I had been uh, doing marketing at is still around. It's not a, a little startup anymore. It's, you know, it's much bigger. They've been through several rounds of funding. Um, and but the startup that I helped co-found, we we created this vanity app that brought together a bunch of social social media feeds into one app. And um, it was really fun. It was I loved that environment. I loved, you know, just rolling up my sleeves and getting stuff done. Um, but after a year, we hadn't really created a, a product. So and that's a problem when you are trying to be a, a social media app company. Um, and so, and I think that the enthusiasm for it was like, oh, you know, we kind of tested this out. It's not really um, resonating. Um, so and I felt really bad. And I went to the, um, to the VC and I said, you know, I, here's the deal. We've got like two months of runway left and I'm basically an overpaid admin. I've got nothing to market. So I, I really feel that, you know, I don't, I, I feel bad wasting your money basically. And he said something that I'll never forget. He's like, look, we place a hundred bets every year and we only expect two of them to be successful. So don't feel bad about it. You know, like we learned from this, you learn from this, it's all good. And that made me feel a lot better because I just really don't like wasting money. So, um, but it was a great experience just to, you know, go through that process and um, learn about all the different facets of running a company, um, which, you know, have helped me in my own company now uh, doing coaching and consulting. So, um, but that was the last startup I worked at because then um, I heard the other siren song of large tech <laughs> with, um, you know, all the wonderful perks and some really interesting work and amazing people. And so um, right away, actually, when I when I left the startup, um, I was going through a divorce. And so I took a little bit of time off. And a lot of people feel like, oh, my God, you know, if you take time off, you're, you things work, uh, things happen so fast in tech, you're going to fall out and, you know, not be able to get back in. And that was not the case. I was out for, I think, 10 months, um, which is great. I got to, you know, spend time with my kids at school. And um, I stayed in it, you know, I still I took a coding boot camp. And um, I, you know, kept in touch with all my, my um, Co-workers and things like that, and then um, my I was working with the coach, and the coach I was trying to figure out what to do next, and the coach said, "You know, you're very googly. Have you ever thought about working for Google?" And I'm like, "I don't know what that means, but I'll look into it." But oh, Google's such a big company. I don't know if I want to work for Google. Um, so you know, I did, did my due diligence and talked with a few people that I knew who worked at Google, and they all really loved it and felt like they were getting things done. It wasn't just a big bureau 
Craddock company. This was 10 years ago. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I found a role there that was a good fit and started at Google. A divorce at the same time that you're going through a failed startup. That's painful. That's a double thing. It painful. was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Uh, yeah. Same here, actually, uh, yeah. on both fronts at the same time. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, not fun. Don't recommend it. Um, yeah. I mean, re- rebounding from failure is like something that is critical in a civilian business career. Yeah. Um, it's so important because we all are going to fail at some point in yeah. your career. I have buddies who have been have been top performers at different uh, banks. I've, you know, they've gotten laid off. Um, and how you rebound from those setbacks, I think, um, is critically important. Do you have any advice for rebounding from setbacks in the business world or in life in general? Yeah, I think it's re-examining what um, what's enough, you know. And and um, for me, it was having a, a really, I guess, a re-examination of expectations and my own unrealistic expectations of perfection. Um, I definitely grew up, uh, you know, just having really high standards for myself, which I think is a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but I think how you react if you don't meet these, you know, presupposed standards is so key. And so being able to disassociate, um, who I am as a person from, um, how, what's happened, I, or, you know, a situation that, that took me a while to get through because I didn't want to, um, feel like I was a bad person because, you know, our startup failed or, um, or because my marriage didn't work out. Like it was more, um, yes, I could have negative feelings about it. I could feel disappointed and sad and all the things, but, um, I also could choose to look at it in a way where it's more constructive. And, you know, what did I learn from that versus I'm a bad person because it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. So I think, um, you know, thankfully having worked with a coach during that time and a therapist, um, I just really um, learned a lot about um, how I view myself and and how I view others and just how, how I was judging myself so much. Um, and, you know, judging other people, judging situations versus just accepting things and, and, and understanding what I can control and what I can't control. Because I think I was trying to control a lot of things that I, I really couldn't. And learning to let go of those things is difficult. But I think being, going through that experience, you know, it helps. So I, I get, so my advice would be, um, you know, find a therapist if you're going through those things, because it's really helpful to talk with a third party who has no emotional investment in what's going on with you. You know, your friends and your family are going to tell you, are always going to agree with you or, you know, but, and it's not that a therapist wouldn't. Um, but I feel like a therapist does, um, at least my therapist did a great job of just holding a mirror up and being, you know, is this really true? Or is this something you're assuming? Um, and, and she really helped me with um, not getting ahead of myself and worrying about the future, um, and, and moving past what had happened. So, um, you know, just really being more present. Um, I second your recommendation for therapy. I just got off the phone with my therapist, actually, right before this call. Um, yeah, awesome. off of that. Yeah, she was great. The um, 
she was very helpful for all the things that you mentioned, right? It's like holding yeah. up a mirror and seeing yourself how others see you, um, or like helping you evaluate how you're going to react to unwanted stimuli, um, yeah. which has been super helpful, um, yeah. super, super helpful. Yeah. So Can I, I just say it. one more thing about that? Please. Because when I was in the military, like my, my ex-husband and I, we started having challenges while we were in the military, but like you could not go see a therapist in the when I was in, it was like kiss of death. Like I'd be off the flight schedule. In fact, actually when I was having, when we were having some struggles, I was friends with the ops officer at my squadron and I'm like, Hey, can you just keep me off the schedule for a week? Cause I'm just going through some stuff right now. And thankfully he was like, yeah, no worries. Um, but it's, it's really too bad that, um, back then, I don't know how it is now, but, um, there was that negative stigma around therapy as if it were something like if you went to see a therapist, there was something wrong with you. And it's not that there's anything wrong with us. We're all human beings, right? We're all, we've all got stuff happening in our lives. And I think especially for veterans, we go through some way more serious shit than your average civilian. And like, if anyone needs therapy or someone supporting us in our mental health, it's veterans. So I really, really encourage people to get over it. If you have a negative, if you think, oh, you know, I, there's not, I don't want to admit that there's something wrong, like quote wrong with me. And I need to see a therapist. I really, really encourage you to reevaluate that thinking because it's, we all need support in some way. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, I do think they've they've come a little bit of a way since then. I don't think the stigma has gone by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. The military has yeah. a long way to go on mental health related stuff. And then there's, yeah. you know, uh, there is a full podcast and like dozens to be recorded about mental health in the military. Yeah. I saw a therapist when I got back from Iraq. It was my first experience with therapy. And, um, sh- you know, I, the other piece of advice I would have for folks is like, sometimes it might just take a little bit to find the right person. Mm, um, yeah. the first person I matched with, they actually gave it, gave me free therapy. Um, after that deployment, they had it as a resource on base, which was great. Wow. Um, but she didn't really dig. She was mm. like, Oh yeah, you, you got it together. Like you're good. I was like, yeah, I mean, she'd ask like very surface level questions. I was like, just dig a little bit here. Like yeah. you'll find some stuff. I promise. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it took me a few folks, um, before I matched with someone that has been very helpful. So you know, okay. sometimes it can be a process, which is painful too, because then you're yeah. like going through it all again and someone's got your control history and it takes time. So yeah, yeah. A- anyway, um, I want to continue on talking about your career in tech and we're going to get to sure. questions from folks that are in the audience too. I, I know that um, Krista, I, I see your question. appreciate you asking one. Um, if you want to drop questions in the Q&A for the webinar, feel free and we'll get to them at the end. Um, but so you made the transition um, into your next role at Google. Uh, what was it like joining a larger tech company um, how is that, you know, from a cultural shift perspective coming out of a startup and then what were you working on at Google? Yeah. So, um, going to Google was like, I mean, you feel like you just got the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Um, it is amazing. Um, what I was working on was I was supporting, um, the team that did all of the online advertiser communities for, um, we had an online community at Google where if you were a business and you weren't sure how to use AdWords or any of the Google business products, you could go onto the community and ask questions. Um, and then my team also supported all of the social media um, customer support. So if people 
had questions and they went to Twitter, you know, to complain, my team would, would uh, address those issues. So it was really fun. It was a global team. Um, we had 13 languages, 13 language communities and, um, and also social media, I think in nine languages. So it was, you know, super fun to be able to support people all over the planet. Um, and yeah, it was, um, it was a little overwhelming. Um, there's definitely that feeling of, uh, you know, the whole, I hate the word imposter syndrome, but I'll say it like you, you're, you're like, Oh my God, how did I get in this place? Like, it's incredible. And, and it really is like, the people are just amazing. Like so many really, really nice people. You know, I, I think I expected, um, I was worried that people were going to, um, I don't know, be uh, snobby, you know, super bright and have conversations about things that I couldn't understand. <laughs> like, but it was really fun. And, um, and, and so many people who are very passionate about changing the world and, you know, Google's mission of um, bringing all the world's information together or, or having it accessible in one click. I think I, that might still be the mission, but um, like I totally dug that mission. I I'm all about information and making it accessible. So I really loved it. Um, but I mean, the only thing I think I might be more passionate about than information is community. So, um, so the role at Google was a really good fit for me because we, um, you know, we had the online communities, but we also did in-person events and we had a big, uh, annual conference for our top contributors in the community. So, it was really fun. But um, then I got a call from Facebook and they're like, hey, <laughs> uh, we need someone to, to run our business help center. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I love Google, but um, but I do love community. So um, the more I talked to Facebook and heard about what they were doing and, you know, their supportive community at that point, I, you know, was really interested in that too. So I moved over to Facebook in uh, 2016, and my job there was a little bit different. It was supporting the global um, business education content team. So what that means is I had a team of content strategists and content designers who would write um, help center content. So they worked really closely with the product teams to understand how the product works. And then they could write articles for the help center that would address common questions, um, so it was, it was product related, but then we also had part of the team that was writing content for, um, learning. So, you know, I, I'm a new business. What do I do? And so it's not so specific on the product and the technical questions. It's more like, um, you know, how can I increase my sales? And so, um, so that was a really fun role because it was, um, supporting businesses of all types, not just small businesses, but also large brands, and um, publishers, you know, uh, organizations like the New York Times, who were using Facebook and in, in um, uh, putting content on the Facebook feed, and um, and creators, you know, it was it, we were getting a lot of people on Instagram who wanted to know how to make money on Instagram, and so they needed to know how to use the, all the different features. So it was a really vast um, audience to address and to support, but. Um, uh, yeah, you know, that's, we did it through online content as well as in-person events. Again, we had certification programs for agencies who wanted to show that they knew what they were doing with Facebook advertising. So, um, it was, um, it was just a lot of fun, but again, you know, mostly because of the people, I really, really enjoyed the people that I was working with. Finding the right people is like, you know, I'm writing a book as well. It's very painful. So we'll talk about the book in a second, okay. but the, um, <laughs> 
But one of the things that I, I'm you know, one of the pieces of advice that I really gravitate towards is like sometimes you won't know necessarily what you want to do with a career, or what the ne- right next step is. And I do think at those times it is really helpful to optimize for people, right? Like who first, yeah. because the who makes the what easier. It's all going to be painful, like business yeah. and work and life. It's like it's hard, regardless. <laughs> right. Even if it's easy, it's hard, you know. Right. Um, but the who makes a tremendous difference. Yeah. I want to ask about the book. Um, I got my copy is coming in the mail. I think it's getting delivered today. Awesome. Um, I can't Thank wait to dive you. in. Cool. I'm thrilled. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. What is uh, Soar into Joy about? Um, what was the process of writing it? Sure. So you know, I wrote a book um, 23 years ago about my first deployment on the Abraham Lincoln. And it was the first West Coast deployment to have women in aviation squadrons and on the ship as well. And so you know, there, there were some growing pains. It was definitely challenging. Um, but I actually wanted to write a book about what it was like to live on an aircraft carrier, um, uh, because it's such a unique environment. Most people don't get to live on an aircraft carrier for six months. Um, uh, but then it had that added lens of being the first one with women on board. So, you know, I'd written a book a long time ago and that book was really more of here's what it's like to live on an aircraft carrier and go through this historic deployment. There weren't really any like lessons, I would say, or, you know, dare I say wisdom, you know, like any kind of guidance. So I felt like, you know, I've been so lucky to have this wonderful career, um, not only in the Navy, but, you know, in tech and in Silicon Valley. And I wanted to share some of the things that I've learned, um, especially from my work as a coach as well, because that's been a, you know, a, a really fascinating personal development journey. And I mean, God, if I could save anyone, you know, the 20 years, 30 years it took for me to learn a lot of these things, I would be so happy. So I, and I have learned so much from reading other people's books along the way. And um, that that's helped me get through a lot of challenges. So with my my latest book, Soar Into Joy, I wanted to um, bring together a lot of those lessons, not only from flying in the Navy and being in that, you know, um, that environment of going through a big change and being a woman in a mostly male environment, but then also working in tech, which is, you know, still also mostly male, but um, uh, moving into the business world, things that I learned as a leader in the business world. And then finally, lessons that I've learned through my own personal development, working with coaches, um, as well as being a coach and the things that I hear a lot from clients and um, work that uh, has helped them. So I wanted to bring all of these lessons together. And as I was thinking about the stories I wanted to share and the points I wanted to make, I was really excited because it, it worked out into an acronym, which, you know, we love our acronyms in the military. And, and I love, I've always loved the the word sore. Like it just makes me feel, um, you know, like I, I describe it in the book as soaring is flying with joy. And so the acronym SOAR stands for self-awareness, openness, appreciation, and responsibility. And those were the four attributes or traits that I feel have really helped me when I focus on those and I feel like I'm really in touch with those. I just feel like that's what's helped me um, live a life that I really love. And I wanted to just bring it all together and share it so that hopefully just as I learned so much from reading other people's books. I'm hoping that this will inspire someone who might be struggling and will help them um, find a life that they love. 
I'm sure that it will. Um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to opening up and uh, unpacking it. Thank you also for walking us through the acronym. Yeah. Um, and for the spelling for my fellow Marines that might be listening. <laughs> it's not S-O-R-E. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm a Marine, so I didn't even put that together in my head. But uh, it's helpful to have you, you know, be able to provide that. Yeah. So SOAR, S-O-A-R. Um, yes. You're also doing a one-woman show. Uh, yeah. Can you double click on that for a minute? I mean, that must yeah. be like equal parts, terrifying, exciting, fun. Um, it's definitely... How'd that come um, Yes, to all of the above. And I will say that the more I've done it, the more it's moving from terrifying to fun. So yeah. um, so that came about from a writing group that I participated in. Um, gosh, I think I started eight years ago or so. And um, it was mostly personal narrative writing. So it was very cathartic because actually, I think I, I did start it 10 years ago because it was right after I went through my divorce. So I, it was so nice just to be able to write stuff and get it out and... Um, and then have a space held in this writing circle where someone was listening to it, but it stayed within that circle. So it was very cathartic. And um, I think I wrote a couple stories about my Navy experience. And I got feedback from the group that they really liked those. They thought it was interesting because, um, you know, again, not a world that a lot of people get to experience. And so um, one of the other women in the group had written a one woman show based on some of the stories she had created in that group. And, um, and I was really inspired by her. And so the woman who runs the group, Beth Dunnington, um, said, you know, you should think about writing a one woman show and performing in it because I had done theater in high school, but, um, and I even did a little bit of community theater, um, while I was in flight school. (laughs) But once I got into the Navy, Navy, like the fleet, uh, the schedules were nuts. So I could never really do, um, theater. So, um, and at Wharton, I did the Follies. (laughs) So it was one of those things. I just always really enjoyed it. It was really fun. So, um, so I wrote this show, I, I pulled together a bunch of stories and I debuted it, uh, premiered it two years ago here in New York at the United Solo Festival, which is uh, a festival for one-person shows. And then last year, I performed it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I did it 23 times. Oh. <laughs> it was like, and it was, um, that I think was where it finally started moving from being terrifying to fun. Because I, I think when you do, it, it's it, it runs about an hour. And so, you know, doing that show every day, um, it just made me feel like I could do anything. And, you know, it gave me the confidence to get up and talk about anything. And, um, I did the show again this past June at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And a week from this Friday on Friday the 13th, I'll be performing it again here in New York at the United Solo Festival again. So, um, and then I also have a performance on November 4th here as well. So I, um, I did a musical in high school as well, actually. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, by, you know, I just like someone basically peer pressured me into going and trying out. And it, it was fun. I love theater. I actually think it's like, super which one fun. was it? It was Cole Porter's Anything Goes. Oh, fun. That's very classic. It is a classic. A lot of the um, music for the show is like, you would know it, you know, even if you've never yeah. seen the show. Um, it's kind of like background music. I feel like you grew up with. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, it's funny that you bring it up because um, I actually think it's a really helpful tool for business. Um, mm-hmm. And like, Public speaking can be really good for your business career, um, but like the ability to communicate clearly and effectively, like I, I encourage folks when they're interviewing to put on their like an actor type um, persona. That's not to say that you should be inauthentic yeah. in an right. interview, right. but 
there are like an actor that gets up on stage and is going to be excited and really like thrilled to present and their their character is like you know has a ton of energy they're not gonna always feel that way internally and that is like the most helpful framework i think for an interview where it's like you're gonna be nervous you gonna be nervous in an interview you're gonna be nervous if you're presenting to a board of directors if you're doing a sales pitch for the first time like whatever it is like you're gonna be nervous um and so being able to channel like an actor and being like you know what i'm gonna like come into this i'm gonna put a smile on my face i'm gonna stand up straight present this with enthusiasm regardless of what i feel inside yeah. is actually a really helpful skill set for business have you found that to be true as well absolutely in fact um i work with a business coach and he recommended the book alter egos and it's this exact concept where it's easier for us to take on like um, an alter ego, uh, another personality and, um, personify the traits of that personality that we want to have more of that maybe we don't feel confident in. I mean, you think of Beyonce. I mean, one of the most successful performing artists and she has this alter ego, Sasha Fierce, right? And she's not the only artist who, who has that. There are, it's, it's a great method for, um, like minimizing or maybe mitigating, um, the anxiety and the nervousness that comes from, um, you know, caring a lot about a situation that you're about to be in. So um, I wish I could remember the author's name, but Alter Egos is the name of the book. And it, it's really, yeah, I think that's a super fascinating concept. It is. Um, there's also such a thing as like drama therapy. Um, oh, yeah. Where like through acting, you can have um, some of the same therapeutic effects um, as other like mental health treatment modalities, which I think is interesting. I don't pretend to know much about it, but um, I don't yeah, either. But I think that's fascinating. You know, whatever works. For sure. Um, I'm going to go to audience Q&A here in a minute. But before right. I do, I do want to ask one final question um, just for general advice that you would have for transitioning veterans as they're facing an uncertain you know, career path and what lays in front of them. What is some general advice that you wish that you knew when you were transitioning out of the military? Um, I would say um, work your connections. Like networking was a dirty word um, in the military, right? You only go where your detailer tells you to go to. What, what do you call it in the Marine Corps? It's not detailer. Yeah, I think it is a detailer. Is it a yeah, detailer? Okay. Monitor. Your monitor, monitor. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like ever questioning that was bad. And, you know, making connections in the military um, in order to further your career or to find a job that you wanted was looked down upon, right? You're just you go to go to where you're told. Um, but networking, like I just think of it as connections. And the fact of the matter is that we are all connected. Um, whether or not we want to admit it or like it, um, it's so true. I mean, you think about everything that we're um, doing and, you know, like this laptop I'm looking at talking with you is, was made by somebody, right? Not me, but I need it <laughs> in order to, to communicate with you. So connection is a part of being a human being. So if you're a veteran getting out of the military, reach out. I, I feel like the veteran community is probably one of the strongest ones. At least it, I, I feel like it has the strongest bonds. Um, and being able to reach out to a fellow veteran, um, just to ask, you know, for help or advice, or, you know, just tell me about your experience. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. Um, the community is there for a reason. And, um, you know, being able to uh, take part of that, that's, uh, I, I, that's probably my primary advice is definitely leverage your community. I tell veterans getting out of the military, get up to 500 connections on LinkedIn as fast as you can. And like you said before, don't do it inauthentically, right? You want to meet people. You want to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. Is that okay? But, you know, so I think you can do it in an authentic way to help forge connections because 
there's going to be some point in your career where that connection might be coming to you for help or for advice. And, you know, that's what it's all about is being able to support one another. So I would, my advice is get on LinkedIn, reach out to people who are doing things that look interesting to you and see if, you know, they, they could spare 15 minutes or, you know, get together for a cup of coffee and um, talk with you and then have a bunch of good questions for them so that, you know, you get really curious and find out what their life's like and if it's something that resonates for you and that you might be interested in. But yeah, reach out. And um, anyone who's listening, I expect you to be reaching out to me on LinkedIn. <laughs> so um, I would love to connect on LinkedIn and help support you in any way. Um, I told the folks I met at uh, the Military Veteran Conference last week, I'm happy to do free coaching sessions. So um, yeah, anything I can do to help support veterans. So reach out and make those connections. Um, you're preaching the gospel. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, you said it better than I can say it. So I'm actually not even going to riff <laughs> on it for once. I'm actually just going to leave it. This is fantastic. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Lori, where can people learn more um, and support your work? Oh, thank you. Um, my website is lauriedrowdy.com. Pretty straightforward. L-O-R-E-E-D-R-A-U-D-E. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I don't really do Twitter or X anymore. So uh, I would find me at my website or on Instagram. Um, Lori Drowdy is my Instagram profile. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page there as well. And that's Lori Drowdy Coaching and Consulting. So yeah. And thank grab you, a copy Brandon. of the book. Yay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm plugging the book for you. Grab a copy of the book. Um, I'm reading that. it this week. I'll post a review on LinkedIn. I'm really looking forward to it. Lori, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to kick over to audience Q&A. Right. Uh, but if you're listening to the podcast, join us at one of our live events. We've got the Military Veteran Startup event in February. It's a fantastic um, two-day event. We've got um, a few of these live recordings we hope to see you in in the coming weeks. Check out themilvat.org slash events. Um, we're looking forward to meeting you all in person. Um, so we'll kick into Q&A now. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. For more content, follow us on Instagram at the military vet or on LinkedIn. Join us at an upcoming event or learn more on our website, themilvet.org. Feel free to email us directly at leadership at themilvet.org. Thank you so much and take care.